Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. with your ankles and your feet. God, I thank you for healing them. 
In Jesus' name, I curse that headache at the root. I command migraine to leave your body and leave your sphere in Jesus' name. And I balance that chemistry that keeps causing you to relapse into these by the spirit of the living God. And you who are struggling with arthritis, I speak to your limbs. I speak to your blood. I even speak to your bloodline. And I say cease and desist. I speak healing to you for your arthritic legs and feet. I thank you, God, for doing it. Lord, I thank you for somebody who's struggling with their cars and needing their payment, God. Just, just a smack out of hell, just cause them to be in this place. Lord, I'm asking that you would have mercy and allow your favor to go before them in their matter of their car, retaining their vehicle, God. I thank you for that, God. In the name of Jesus, I'm speaking to the pastors of churches. Right now, you're struggling with your church. They don't know you. You don't know them because God has changed the essence of who you are and changed the mantle on the house. God, I thank you that you would send in intercessors, prophets, and teachers to explain what's going on in this church because you are shifting to what God will be doing and away from what he has done. Pastor, be patient. Do not war with your people. Pray, intercede, and love them, and take your leaders aside, says the Holy Ghost, and begin to speak to them about the things that you are afraid they can't understand. When God gets ready to shift the church, he doesn't just talk to the head. He talks to the headship, and he doesn't just talk to the leader. He talks to the leadership. So they are already waiting for somebody to answer the dreams, answer the inklings, answer the, the impressions that they've been getting. So step out and believe God. I just hear God telling you, step out. I'm also speaking to another pastor church. You want a new building. You're going after a new building. We give you favor with zoning. We give you favor with donors and givers. We give you favor even with the city that you're in so that you would get this property and be secured. I break this this. this a wandering spirit that's been on you for so long, and I establish you and root you in your city by the spirit of the living God. So let it be done. And God, I'm speaking to intercessors. God, especially intercessors that have been in your service for a long time, somebody out there, you've been interceding for 20, 25 years in the Lord. Some of you, 30 years. God said, as you have matured and, and continue to sharpen your gifts and hone that ability, God's now going to give you access to highest strata of people, and you're going to be able to be recognized and accepted as a strong prayer warrior in the, in the major things of God. I thank you for that, God. I really do. I thank you for healing your body. I thank you for institutions being born. I thank you for entrepreneurs and their visions being taken seriously, God. Those who have worked diligently, God, as you said, the hand of the diligence shall prosper. So I, I hasten the prosperity side of those diligent hands that have worked, the inventors and the creators that are out there, innovators. I give you, listen, it's time for God's people to stand up, and it's time for the Lord Jesus to be presented. If you haven't hidden Jesus under a bushel, if you've not put him in the closet and put him in the back room, room as people tend to do, then God said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. He said he will draw those to himself through you, faithful in that which is least. I speak to armor bearers and ministers of the house right now. Don't get caught up in that gab fest. Somebody, you are caught up in a gab fest, even though you, you don't say anything. And you don't contribute to it. You don't stop it, and you continue to sit in those circles as if you want to hear it. The Holy Spirit says stop that, excuse yourself, and separate yourself from that. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Did they like our prayer? Yes. They like our prayer. And somebody who you're writing a book, you want to, you want to author a book, 
and the Holy Ghost said that you need to get help. You know, anybody can write a book, but not everybody can sell it. And so if you don't know how your book is going to sell, you're about to set yourself up in disappointment because you're going to literally have a bunch of books sitting on a shelf because prophets will run through and see a book in you, preachers, teachers, they'll run through, they'll see a book in you, and they'll get all excited as they see it because they just see the book. I've talked to people over and over again, and I'm telling you right now because somebody's praying to God about a book that you want to write, and someone else has written one, and it's not moving. The Holy Ghost is very clear. He says to you it's easy to write a book or easier to write a book than it is to sell them. Books take time. Books take time to read. It take, they take, people have to take time out of their busy lives. They have to be still to read them. So if you're going to produce a book, don't just run on the word that says God told you to write a book. Don't just run on that word. Run on how you're going to get that book read because it's easier to write a book than to sell one. And that's what happens. Millions of authors around the world have, have literally millions of books sitting in a garage sitting in, the, uh, in the, the back room, packed away in closets. Why? Because they were enthusiastic about writing it, about getting their message out, about telling their message, and never thought about how they are going to get people to want to hear or read that message. So I tell everybody, and usually when I give this counsel, people get very angry with me, and they change their numbers or whatever, if I ever let them give me a number, and they get very angry. But I've done this for a very long time. I know how hard it is to get people to want to stop their life to read your book. Is this speaking to anybody? To whoever you are, don't don't put all of this money in. You're looking at ponying up five thousand, seven, ten thousand dollars, and you won't recoup that money if you haven't got yourself a good marketing team. And you can say, well, you know, because I've heard them say it. Well, I can put it on Amazon for you and all of that. It's not hard to get it on Amazon. Amazon is a book purveyor. Amazon purveys everything. They, they sell everything. So I can get it there and there, but you still have to get people to want to buy it. I don't care if you do get it on Amazon. You have to help. They have to find your book and then have to find out about you and then have to find out if you're worth their, their money and then work their time. Books, hear me, the hardest thing about books is getting people to want to stop their life and read them because books are not like music. You put it on, you you can just ride around. You usually don't get a Kindle version of your book coming out the gate, and if you do, even so, you still have a lot to compete with. So people to want to find you on Amazon or all of those other online book outlets, you have got to have a way to draw them in. Remember. People have to be drawn into you to be interested in reading what you write. Any, any comments on this? I just feel like this is a, a place, it's a, a, a sticky place for some people. It's a thorny place because I've had them come in and say, you know, God wants you to write a book. You, you, this person is like, you know, flipping burgers. And I, I'm not taking anything from that because they're having a job is a good thing. But they're not doing anything that, that to distinguish them from mainstream society. You have got to do something that distinguishes you from mainstream society enough for people to recognize you. You have to be conspicuous in the field, whatever it is that you're writing about. You got a question? Someone said this happened to me. 
Thank you. Because people, t- you run in there, especially in the church, because young prophets don't know time. To, to a young prophet, a, 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 they'll, they'll tell you a spontaneous word is a noun word. And rarely are prophecies noun words. That's rarely are they. When you first hear a prophecy, it's not always a noun word. Sometimes it's a seminal word, which means it's a seed. And then it has to be watered over years. I'm, I'm entering right now prophecies I received 30 years ago. So your book may not need to be written now. You may not have lived enough for your book to be interesting. So now all you're doing is adding to the pile of testimonials out there, which if you heard one, you pretty much heard them all, different subjects, because the style of testimonial writing doesn't change. Devotional writing pretty much can't. And we don't even want to talk about Christian fiction. I can't even roll with that. You know, a Christian Christ being truth and then fiction being a lie. I'm stuck on that. So, you know, I can understand dramatizations all day long. You, you know, you might want to dramatize something. But, but, but if somebody has that calling, hey, go to it. I won't say God bless you, but I will say go to it. Because if that's what you feel you have to put in print, then put that in print. But you have got to stop thinking just because you write a book, someone wants to read it. I said that to a woman once um, that, that visited my church from Africa, and she says, well, you know, everybody told me I should write my story. And her story is horrible. But well, how many of you know the world is full of horrible stories? And, and guess what? Entertainment is full of horrible stories. We can get horrible stories now for free on cable. And if I don't know you, I just well watch the horrible story on Law and Order or, you know, NCIS or whatever shows they have that they got out there that tells you always, the, you know, the downside of me. And so I, I want you to think differently. You may get a word. You may have gotten a prophecy that I'm supposed to write a book, and you want to pull yourself off the scene. You want to quit your job. First of all, you need a job to pay to print the book. Because, see, sometimes you don't realize it. Well, I'm just shutting in. And you'll get prophets who'll say, all you got to do is shut in, and, and that's it. And they may be right, but they're right for your future, maybe not for your present. So you'll pull yourself off, quit your job, go part-time, half-time, no time. God's not making up the difference. But you are convinced that God is making up the difference because it came from a prophet. I have no idea how I ended up here, but as I was praying, I just saw people being told, go write your book, and, and, and God's going to sell it. God will sell your book in time. Do you know when I wrote that dictionary, first of all, my first book that I sold, was constructing a contemporary prophet in 1993-94, and it took a publisher and a guy that does all of this other stuff to sell that book, and the book sold. I was surprised that it sold. To be honest with you, I was stunned. But it was a subject that was interesting. So maybe your testimony is not an interesting subject unless you wrap it around a subject that can benefit people, that can advise them, that can uh, propel them, that can unlock their thinking on something, that can expand them, that can equip them or arm them. Because if you are not a big name, people don't have a reason to pick up your book. You go to Barnes and Nobles and all of these book outlets, they got bunches of books. Even they're smart enough to know that they're not going to put those out that people don't sell. And then you got to get, get to the point that you get from way in the back on the floor to the front. And, and, and that was my challenge when I did the dictionary. 
they first put it out there, um, gee whiz, I don't even know how long ago it was, but we first put it out there, and they put it on the New Age Psychic stuff. And it was way in the back on the floor. But because of my following and my ability to sell and the title, because sometimes your book won't sell because you got a, just a, an you know, unattractive, unappealing title. And so I go there and I find my book. I'm so glad it's in the bookstore. I don't care. I go back a year later and I'm in the front on the Christian references with some of the biggest names and titles they have. But again, it was a title, the Prophet's Dictionary. We're always going to have prophets, and people are always going to want to know what it means. The Prophet's Dictionary today still sells. I'm stunned. It's like 12, 13 years. Mm-hmm. Still sells, and I get royalties still today. Big books, whatever, but talk about longevity, still sells. If I go on a big venue, I'm going to move a ton of profits. If I go, whatever, whatever. But it was something that God wanted. And that's something else. If you want God to back it, you should write what God wants, not what you feel people need to read. Because, see, the story you want to tell may not be the story he wants them to read. Or, again, there's timeliness. So what are we talking about? First of all, you need to make sure that people have the reason to read your book. Your title should say that. Now, I'll tell you something that, they, that I've seen has become a practice in the publishing industry, and that is putting, you know, really engaging titles and intriguing titles on books that say nothing. You only get a chance to do that once, because when your name comes back around again, they're going to remember how you deceived them with a title that did not match the material. Don't play that game. People no matter how wicked the world gets, still at the very base of their makeup, want integrity. If your book is, is, is about flashy cars and, and whatever, don't tell them the book is about how to become a billionaire, you know, making cars. You're not talking about making cars. You're talking about your flashy cars. People know when they've been tricked. So don't make that mistake. You might need some, some counsel and some help in getting your, your title, picking out your title. Usually my titles always come from God. I don't know. He just picks them up. And people will tell me, I don't think that should be. No, I'm telling you, this is the title God wants. And so when he wants a title, I don't care how off and oddball it, it may sound, in the present, God is always speaking to the future. Every present work is for a future harvest. Every present work is for a future harvest. So your book is for a future that God is shaping or has shaped or has coming down. So you definitely want to do that. Also, if you can't write well, it's okay to get a ghostwriter. But if you're going to get a ghostwriter, you should record. You should record. I don't need a ghostwriter. I, my, my ghostwriter is the Holy Ghost. I mean, I can honestly, I'm not trying to be arrogant, but the truth is I can just sit down on whatever subject and I can write by hand, write it out for my people to type because I've done this that long and I also study nonstop. And that's the third thing I'd like to say. You need to study your subject. Just because it's a testimonial doesn't mean that it doesn't have to be grounded in reality and in truth. People have to trap that testimony in the, in the human experience. And it's good to not just, just ravel on your testimony and then finish it. Go and find some people who are handling what you're doing so you can refer your readers to something, some sources. So find them. Don't just, well, it's just, just my story. Your story is not unique. Sin is not unique. Salvation is not unique. Heaven is not, well, heaven is unique, but it's not common. Hell is not unique. 
Come on, you have to recognize however much your story impacts you, however much your experience, you know, um, etch itself in your heart, it's not unique. So you need to find out how to make it more appealing and make it more relevant to the reader. That's very important. And so you need to know and you need to understand. So if you're subject, you're writing a book about being molested by your family, then you need to make sure that your, your testimony includes help for those who are being molested, not just you giving an account of your uh, experience. You don't want to do that. Can you speak on the importance of having an expanded vocabulary? That's where I was going next. Yes, you're there. Thank you. Again, if you don't have a great vocabulary, and some books don't require a really great vocabulary, they just require an intelligent one. So you need to study words. You, for example, if you're writing your testimony and you keep using one word over, 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 over again, you need to go to a thesaurus and find some synonyms for that redundant word that's going to bore your reader. So you need a thesaurus. Now, a thesaurus can be tricky because in your writing, the thesaurus can give you as many as 10, 20 options for words. But you've got to go and do something most writers don't want to do, and that go, to, go and look that word up in the dictionary to make sure that its meaning coincides with your writing intent, with the thought you want to convey. So don't just pick a, act like you're in a supermarket of words and just go to the thesaurus and pick a word because that term may be one that is used as a synonym, but is it used in the context that you are speaking? It's important that you do this. Before you write, before I sit down and write, I tend to spend about a month or two researching. I just, just research. I research words. I research subject matter. Now, I can write off my head. You ask me to write, I can write off my head. I can pretty much ghostwrite anything. But that's not what I want to do. I want to be comfortable because I keep researching and digging until I un unlock the stream. When that, there's a stream that will come, if you go through the right processes, there is an intelligent stream that will come up in you, and I'm telling you, it will flow. But if you don't put it in, God can't pull it up. He can't pull it up, and he can't pull it out. So I would say to you, so you want to take care of vocabulary. How about grammar? You know, spell check is wonderful, but, you know, spell check can lead you astray. So I use spell check, but then I still go back and use spell check, grammar check, and still go and check, like in the dictionary, they give you a term, then they say examples of usage. You Go and look at those. See, a lot of you all want to write by the Holy Spirit, but you forget the Holy Spirit is the logo. And so you're treating God as if he's as lax and lazy as your spirit is. God is excellent. He, the Bible said the word of the Lord is tried seven times. How many times has your word been tried? So the word you write must have been tried, which is why it's very interesting to read um, books that are written by preachers and uh, teachers and speakers, orators, folks who communicate, who think all the time. So you want to make sure, and if you can't do the grammar, it's okay. Grammar is a technical thing. Find somebody who will look at your grammar, and don't fuss with them. Christians tend to fuss with folks who look at, who, who read their stuff because in their mind, 
I got it from God. And if I got it from God, then it's perfect. No, no. It came perfect from God, and it fell in your imperfect being. And it's at that point that it meets your lack of education, your lack of experience, your lack of knowledge. So God's prophetic word, God's, um, uh, what do you call it, transmitted word, will always be held up by your lack. What you lack as a writer, as a thinker, as a seeker, as a worker, as a servant, as a minister. Human lack will always impede, and I would say, diminish God's truth. I can write so, so, so um, uh, I guess, uh, prolifically is the word. That's the word they use about me all the time. I can write that way because I have, I have dealt with my lack, my, the lack that would hinder God's word, the lack that would distort his message, the lack that would cause people to, to ridicule him, as I'm saying, the Lord gave me. And I, the sentence is for the concept is poor. There's no biblical foundation for it since I am a Christian writer. You, you need to have the professional foundation for what you write about, whatever that is. Let's kill that spirit today. If you are going to write, then may I suggest that you don't fall back on the Holy Spirit's superiority and supremacy and, and, and just take it as if you heard it correctly. Half of what God says, i got to tell you, when I'm writing by God, Half of what God says, he's got to repeat it several ways. And then in the beginning, because I didn't respect what he, he said because I didn't know how to entreat, he would say something in my sleep, and I'd wake up and forget it. I couldn't get it. Or he'd say something in prayer, and I'd get out of prayer and say, God, what is it? And I would just beg him to repeat it and repeat it, and I couldn't hear him, and he didn't repeat it. And he said, I said, but God, why won't you repeat it? He said, because if you heard me in your sleep, you should have got up and written it down. I said, you're right, God. I should have. He said, you should respect my intervention in your life enough. Say, when I give you something, write it down. He said, you need notebooks everywhere the whole bit. After that, mm-mm. I stopped doing, uh, 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 when he started, and I would be, and you know he tests you, because God's going to test you, test you at 3.30 in the morning. See, because he can't test you at 3.30 or 7.30 when you have to get up and you got to go to work. But he will test you at 3.30 in the morning. And so I just kept the path by my bed, and if I didn't write it, I recorded it and rolled over and went back to sleep. And so I learned that from him. He also would test me on words. He'd say to me over and over and over again, do you know what that word means? Do you know how I'm using it? See, if you're going to blame God, Hallelujah, then work to not shame God. Because God is perfect. As for the Lord, his way is perfect. So God does communicate perfectly. And it took years for me to be able to take his words as he speaks them verbatim with his meaning and his intent. It took decades, I kid you not. And the, the one book that, that broke me in on it was the Prophet's Dictionary. Ooh, boy, I would go, and I had to rewrite, rewrite, rewrite. And see, you understand, I was writing new stuff. And so because I was writing a new subject, new genre of, 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 of material and information, I couldn't trust anybody because I tried, and they would start, next thing I know, they got a, a dictionary or something akin to it out with me, uh, with my stuff in it. So that, that means I had to write it. I had to type it. I had to do all of that personally myself, which is probably what held me up. That's probably why I don't have a lot more on the market because I have to do it. Now it's better. I've raised up a team, 
and my team can do a lot of that work for me. Hopefully that means I can release like the almost 500 things I, I am sitting on. And I know it sounds like an exaggeration, but I don't believe it is. Um, so I would say to you that make sure that you understand what you're saying. And then don't write what you feel people need to read. Write what you, you want them to understand and, and, and to get out of what you write. It cannot be about you. You have to write, write to your reader and not to your experience. Many people write to their experience. And they write, it's all, and it's, it's kind of like a, a vacuous thing. They write like they're in a vacuum. And they write to their experience. And you can't do that because then the only person that will enjoy it and get something out of it is you. Because it'll, it, you know, it'll feed back into your memory. And you'll relish the moment or relish reliving the moment or however way it goes. You cannot. You must write to readers. And so that means you need to understand your reading or audience. Not everybody's going to appreciate your writing. Don't write to the whole world because the whole world's not going to want it. You're going to get people who just don't like it. It's not their subject, and it has nothing to do with you. And then don't write short, choppy sentences and fall, up, fall back on filler. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, and then God said, and again, that repetitious word or repetitious phrases. Challenge yourself. And, and, and don't write just to say, write to lead your readers through your story through your literature. You cannot just, well, I just want to tell you that, and I want to tell you this, and it's all choppy. If you write like that, it's okay. That, if that's how you think, but you need a ghostwriter. You need to get somebody who can write. And you can't, and, and not just any old ghostwriter will do. You have to get a ghostwriter that is <laughs> somewhat familiar with or at the least exposed to your subject. Just because somebody is an English teacher doesn't mean they are a ghostwriter. And even English teachers will not always be able to edit my work because I'm using things and whatever that are uncommon. Because remember, I'm writing for a future. And we go around all the time. Now, we do grammar. I'm 100% for grammar and punctuation and all of those terms and, and whatever. I want that tense. Just, I'm that. I'm there. But I also know that, that a lot of what I wrote didn't exist before. So it's very difficult to evaluate something that's never existed. And if it's never existed, pretty much it's, the onus is on you, the author, to make it intelligible and interesting and informative. You have to do that. So you see, just because that prophet ran through and said you should teach or your friend heard you give your testimony and told you you should make a book out of it, it is not that easy. Some testimonies are not even a pamphlet. So maybe you should make a blog out of it. Just make yourself a nice little internet blog. Because your testimony is not, is not maybe it's not uh, big enough, uh, expansive enough, and maybe it's not expandable. Because a lot of times your testimony has to be framed. Writing has to be framed. You have to frame it, set the stage for it, create all of this kind of thing for the reader to think. Because readers think logically. If they're educated in, in any kind of system, they think logically. And, and, and so you have got to... Frame your testimony in a logic, within a sequence and in a succession of things that the reader can follow. And now let's say you've gotten past all of that. Bless your heart. You got past all of it. It's wonderful. It's good. Now you've got to get this manuscript thing going. And once you get that laid out, you've got to find out how to publish it. And I'll tell you, here is where you can get ripped off. 
because, you know, right now everybody, anybody can take their computer and turn your work into a PDF and say they can publish it. But that's not always the case. Sometimes you need somebody to make sure that they want to publish you correctly, that they want your work to look good, that it doesn't just get print, that they don't just take and throw it in a typeset program without formatting, without separating it. You know, the chapters and, and the headings and all of those kinds of things that you need. And you need a table of contents. You need to know how you want to do that so people can find what they need in your book. But now you also have to get somebody to design your cover. And, of course, come up with that title. Remember, we talked about the title. Don't give your book a, 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 slashy, a you know, sassy, banging title and, you, and nothing in it meets that title. People need your titles to be correct. And so now you have to do it. So there are a lot of people to do it, but you need to read up on every company that you want to, um, that you're considering to publish a book. I am a proponent of self-publishing for some major reasons. I have, I've had a publisher. I have a great publisher that I love dearly. They take good care of me. We've been together for a long time. But I also agree with self-publishing because sometimes – Present publishers are not aware, and they're not forward-thinking enough to know when new material, new genre is coming down from God or coming into the world. And so they're looking to play it safe. They want to play it safe to their readership. They want to make sure their readers uh, agree with the material I mean, because they have a business to run, and there's nothing wrong with that. I am a proponent of self-publishing for all of those reasons. When you self-publish, if it is God, God will go around the system. One thing I will watch about God, and that is God will always go around the system to bring new things into the world. And so he'll go around, and he'll strike relationships that you don't know how you got. He'll bring you into meetings or get you exposed to various things or cause you to get invited into various things that will allow you to introduce your book. And that's what he did for me with the Prophet's Dictionary. He put me in a circle of apostles and prophets that stood my book, and they themselves picked up the book and ran with it. I thank God for those people today because it's still selling. And so you need to find out, again, if it's God, God's going to sell it, but you need to know how he sells it. Because you can might want, want to run in there and, and, and hand your book to everybody and, and go and get a bunch of copies made and send them to all of the um, name people you know, that still doesn't mean that they are going to pick it up because what you wrote and what they read could be two very different things. And how you feel about what you wrote and their response to what you wrote, again, could be miles and miles apart. And so what you want to do is find out whether or not your book should be, your testimony should be in print, your story should be in print, your instructions should be in print. You have got to resolve that before you pick up your pen or typewriter and start doing it. And before you also, something else I did to make sure that I made a book intelligent, I went to bookstores, and all I did is look at book formats. I spent about maybe, I don't know, six months or so in Jersey just going to bookstores to know how books were laid out. Because a lot of times, you know, you got that word from the prophet, we get a book and got, the whole book is like, you know, 60 pages of one paragraph. <laughs> or all caps. You know, you realize I've gotten people who do that. 
you know, when you write in all caps, it means you're shouting at people. That's what people take that to mean. You're shouting at them and or that you have an emotional disturbance. So don't write your book in all caps. Write your book the way books are written, you know, and don't capitalize things just because they mean a lot to you. When you capitalize something in your text, make sure it should be a standout thing. You shouldn't stand out, make every paragraph stand out or every sentence stand out or put a capital word in every sentence because it shows that you that your, your writing is not on an even kill. Writing is like speaking. It should be on an even kill. And so what you want to punctuate and what you want to accentuate, that's something different. Then you can do that. But, again, how about this? Why don't you take a writing class? It could happen that in a writing class you can cover all of these bases. And you can do it some, I mean, a lot of colleges and universities have weekend classes, continuing ed, writing classes. But why don't you take a writing class? Because that works. Now, I, again, whoever you are, you must have been praying to the Lord about writing a book or about how your book didn't sell or how people told you you should write it and then even they don't want to buy it. You ever notice that people will tell you to write a book and they don't want to buy it? Now, why don't you want to buy the book you told me to write? You can't get good forewords. You can't get people to give you a foreword, and you just think because you wrote it, somebody ought to do a foreword just because you wrote it. No, people who give forewords put their reputations on the line. I don't give forwards without reading your book, and if I don't have time to read it, I'm not going to do a forward because I'm not putting my reputation on the line. I'm not going to give a forward to something that I don't know what you're going to say, what you said in, in the middle of the book, you know, if you had some kind of derogatory remarks or criticisms of other ministers and things like that, I won't give you a forward for that. That's not who I am because that's not why I do things. And I'm very academic. My writing is very academic, very scholastic. So some of these things I ought not to give a forward to because that's not why you're writing. So you need to make sure that the person you ask for a forward is somebody who should be putting their name on your book. I would caution people who give forward casually. Look, I mean, how many times have you given your foreword and the person you back has fallen into sin, deep this, deep that, and your name is on their book? It happens. So you need to be very careful, but you do need to get some forwards. You need to get some people who will read your work and testimonials. And, and unless you're ex- extremely driven, you ought not to make it a, a, a sole project, just you, a solely you project. You need to get people who can help you if you can you know, in my case, I, it just didn't work out for me. But that's not, that doesn't make me uh, one who says, go it alone. I, I don't particularly like that idea, but I refuse to be held up by opposition. I will never let opposition hold me up, so I'm going to find a way. And so the opposition for my work before its time came, and that's what I will call it, before its time came was severe. It was very severe. People were caught up in the stream that was prevailing at the time, so they could not receive what I wrote, how I wrote it, what I wrote, or anything. Ironically, though, I'm, you know, being the obstinate person I am, I just kept writing. And I kept writing because God says, but I change times and seasons, and there's a day coming where your work will be revered. And I'll tell you, that time is fast approaching. And you need to know that your writing, even if your book doesn't go now, don't think that it's never going to go because God has a time and a season as well as a readership for what you wrote. So don't just say, oh, man, I got these 2,000 books and they're a waste. Uh-uh. Keep your little 2,000 books, 
because it could well be that the Lord will find an audience for them. And that's important for you to think about because many times you get so disappointed you want to burn them and don't do that because I'm telling you, print has a future because everything you, you write today is for a future, a future season, future era. There are sometimes there are events. Just an event will make people start looking for what you wrote. You know, in my opposition and during those years of opposition, I didn't. I never stopped writing because I never stopped seeing the future. I I lived in the future because the present was crazy. So I wrote, and my staff will tell you, I wrote books after books, manuals after manuals, trade books, textbooks, you name it, I have it. Because I knew that if I didn't die, I would be in the future. And if I was in the future, I needed to have the material that God gave me and the material materials required to serve those that I would meet in the future. So that is why we, we have it together. We don't have it together because we found out that people were going to like us after social media and we, are, we needed to scramble and get some material, you know, developed. We didn't do that. I wrote nonstop, and we, we planned classes nonstop. We did it. If you are really called to God, you can do one of two things with your, your delay. You can feel sorry for yourself and turn to that which does not profit, or you can continue to be convinced and persuaded in your own heart that this is God and God will use it because he said those who wait on me will not be ashamed. If that's you, then write your book, but stop writing it as if you're going to get it published tomorrow and the day after it's going to be a bestseller. Don't write your book like that. Write your book because it's an assignment. Write it because God has appointed you to do it. Write it because you know there's a future in it. And write it knowing that you're going to have to build a readership that will think taking time out of their busy lives is worth it when they handle your book or to read your book. How, how are we doing? What, what are our comments? Well, the comments are what I was thinking. Some of them, this is like the master's, you know, the master's classes they have now mm-hmm. online, all the people at the top of their game in the industry. This is like a master's class for how to write books. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think there's anybody better in Christendom at this point who could speak on this subject since, well, pretty much everybody watching has at least one, one of, my of book. your books. Yeah. It's had them for at least 10 years. And so uh, just the excellence, a lot of people are saying this is very much on time. Some are saying, man, I wish I had this with them. When I wrote a book, mm-hmm. people said, you have a book in you yeah. to write it, especially about that um Publishing piece, let's see, Sade said, writing a book right now. Mm-hmm. This is blessing me. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Uh, yep. There are just so many comments appreciating this, the timeliness of it, how good this is. And and I would say, you know, this, this is what's needed in the body of Christ, to have permission to be excellent. Yep. Can we do that? I would say a lot of saints get talked out of doing what they know is the right thing by because of what you said earlier in your discussion. It's from the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. It's perfect the way it is. Don't change a thing. Don't change a thing. You don't want to disrespect God. You don't want to do whatever. You hurt his feelings if you change his words. That's it. And now the irony is how many versions of the Bible do we have? Mm-hmm. I mean, we have changed the, the word. word of God, the actual word of God, mm-hmm. countless times. And so I just most appreciate great words of wisdom. Someone say, yes, 
wisdom. And I want them to know as we go, you know, as you take this information under advisement, I want you to know you don't have to write a lot of pages. You know, I, for some reason, I'm a founder and I'm a fountainhead. Because I am a fountainhead and I'm a founder, I have the totality of what God has decided he wants to move his church to, to and his kingdom to in the future. But you may not. You may only have five chapters. Make them five of the best compelling chapters you can make them. You may only have five, um, five pages per chapter. Then don't make it a big book. Make it small. But make sure you polish what you do. One of the things that, that God said to me is that my people don't think I'm worth their A game. He says this all the time. He said, I'm not worth their excellence. I'm not worth their effort. I'm not worth their superiority. I'm not worth their discomfort, their inconvenience, or the strain of being excellent. And see, to me, he is. So even when I'm writing, and, and, and if I write something and I write it and I use a word that God doesn't want, he lets me know. Well, I'm a prophet. I can hear that. But you know what? You can hear it, too, by instinct and impression. So I use his terms. He uses terms that are going to be brought back in the future. And so you need to be very, oh, you're going to write for the Lord or write with the Lord's grace. So you do need to be excellent. Don't be in a hurry to get it in, in the store. Be in a hurry to get it right. And to get it excellent, to be accurate in your, in your statements and, and references and all of those kinds of things. Your anecdotes need to be relevant. Those things are important. But you always write with the busy reader in mind. One of the things my daughter says to me all the time, I'm not quite sure, um, I'm not quite sure what, whether it's a good thing or not. I think from her it's good. But whether it's a good thing or not. And she says, Mom, you write very dense. I waste no words. When I'm writing, I literally budget words. I bank words. Oh, no, this says, I'm not going to waste. That's a good word. I'm not going to put that there. I'm going to save that for when I got something really, really juicy going on to say later on. But I would say to you, um, you need to be good at words. Because if you're going to write more than a paper, you need to not bore people by using the same words and phrases over and over and over again. If you're going to use a word that you know is unfamiliar, Take time to, to define it, you know? If you're going to use a word that your reader is most likely not going to understand, then use the word and then say parasitically da-da-da-da-da. Well, why do you do that? You could just say da-da-da-da-da, but I always like to upgrade my readers. And so you can enhance their reading experience, but you can also add to their vocabulary and increase their intelligence. So I like to do both. And then there are times that I use words that, apply to a trucker and then another to a physician and another to a scientist and another to a cook and another to a bill. I use that because I expect to have a diverse readership. So I, I go that way. So I'm excited about this. I really am. Any more comments before we go over? Uh, they were just like banking on words. Love it. Mm-hmm. Oh, bank words. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. Someone said, I needed to know that. I don't have to write a lot of pages. Mm-mm. No. Mm-hmm. Write a pamphlet. You know, you can start with a pamphlet. Well, can we talk about the Prophet Dictionary? Yes. I mean, you, you talked about it before, how it started out as a glossary. That was your original Plan. idea. Mm-hmm. And old versions of 
versions of the dictionary, the spiral. Only a handful of people. Man, I tell you, those people won't let that go. They will bring it to my meetings and show me they have that. Now, I don't even have the old spiral one. And they all say, no, 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 we have the first version. And it's like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And then how it's grown over the years. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it is important when you said earlier to take your time. I would encourage people to research either their favorite works or their whatever to see what it took to produce those. I, I do that a lot mm-hmm. because it grounds you. You walk away with a real-world perspective of how much work, time, and effort, revisions, revisits, projections it's going to take to get one quality product. Mm-hmm. If you, some of our favorite films, for example, Ten years old. Seven, ten, fifteen years to get to the screen. Mm-hmm. Off and on, uh, producer picking it up, dropping the project, taking something else, a favorite actor that they had, signed another contract, or died. Mm-hmm. I mean, and they have to start absolutely at the beginning. Rewrites, rewrites, rejections, nobody. And, and then some things, just like you said, waiting for its time. That's what I was going to speak on. Some things are just shelved for five years or ten mm-hmm. years. And then when they're pulled out in the right season, it's like broken. But also, talking about waiting for its time, um, I have found that major projects, I could write them, and then I can't write any longer. I've got to go live some stuff. I got, God has some, some life experiences and some exposures on the table that I must walk through. So there are times that I can write something and not pick it up again for two, three, four years. I've got to live because I have, sometimes, hear me, people, you have to grow into the message God wants you to write. And sometimes you have to live the thoughts you want to put in print. And if you can do both of those, then you will have a good product. But if you're just looking to just, you know, spew on paper, I mean, I've, I've seen so many people spew on paper, and at, at the time you spew, you're hurt, you're mad, you're still inflamed, your soul hasn't been healed, you haven't forgiven. That is the worst reading to have. Don't write when you are emotionally inflamed. Write after you've processed the situation, process the hurt or the the um, person or whatever that caused you to suffer so much. If you don't process the suffering, you will write a terrible book. You'll either write it from pity, everybody's going to feel sorry, and you're only going to grab the, the, the victims, the, your readers are going to be the victims, or you're going to write from anger, your readers are going to be the villains. And so you want to make sure you have processed the suffering that institute or, or what I call um, – inspired your book. You want to process suffering. If you're going to make it a testimonial, if you're going to make it a devotional, you're going to make sure that what you are writing as a devotional is something that has a universal merit. Just because you worship God in a particular way, that's fine. But you need to know whether or not what you want to put in print has a universal appeal. Because writers must write with a universal appeal. What you write must have, remember, the world's full of bad stories. We've got bad television. We've got bad games. we got bad stuff. I mean, we can find the macabre, the grisly, the brutal, the unjust, and whatever, just in one week on TV. And we don't have to stop and turn pages, pull out our glasses or anything. We just sit on down and watch it in an hour. They didn't us one, one horrible, nasty story. In addition, we have documentaries all over the place where we can do that. What makes your story telling and worth reading? You have to answer that before you pick up your pen. You have to know. 
And it can't just begin with somebody prophesying that you had a book in you. Lord said you got three books in you, and you just had your third baby. You realize you're not going to write three books. Not with, no, not with three babies. You are not. See, there are times that your present situation and your state of existence at the time of that prophecy or that declaration must be considered. You are not doing it. You're going to be up all night writing, or either, and your kids are going to be neglected. If you're married, your, your spouse is going to be neglected, and you're going to say these words. I'm doing this for God because God told me to do this, and it's not God. It's poor timing. Remember, prophecies said in the now are all, they're not always meant to be now. Prophets, it took how many years to get Jesus to the planet? From Genesis 3, 15. The woman shall conceive. Okay, her seed. So a seed will bruise. Come on. Well, how long was that? So not every word that you get about your writing calling is for now. Make sure it's for now. And then understand that there are very few works that I don't know if I've written any book that didn't take me, I had to take time off from the writing to live it, to understand it, to wear it, to embody it so that it's not something that I am taking from a, a whole lot of other people. You see, I don't, I'm, not call, I'm called for a future, and I'm called for a future body and, and a future population as well as a future world. And so I don't. I do a lot of research. Most of my research is probably about words and, and um, vocabulary, etymology, things like that, because I already know my experience with the Holy Ghost. I already know what I'm going to write. I've been at this for a long time. I know my subject, and I know how to diversify my subject and how to vary it so that it serves other purpose. For, so I write the prophet's dictionary, and now I'm in the middle of writing a textbook for biblical psychology. I wrote the prophet's handbook, and then I wrote attorneys general. And I wrote attorneys generals, and then wrote money is the spirit. You see, because I am the kingdom's writer, I'm the king's writer. I'm a royal writer from the throne of Christ. I understand that. So I have a lot, not, but, but some people would have written the prophet's dictionary. Matter of fact, one man said, you know, if I wrote the dictionary, that would, be all, that would have been my life's work. Some of it is our life's work to read it. <laughs> I mean, I remember you wrote, money is a spirit, divine order, spiritual dominant, and eternity general. All at once. At the same time. Yeah. Because we were trying to edit it. At the same time. It's read it. And with us, one person, we were joking office one night going through your stuff when you were writing and we were saying one person wrote this and there's like 10 of us <laughs> 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 but you know I know who I know why I'm a writer I know what the Lord wants to say and I I'm dealing with the person you know the man Christ Jesus and not just his theology and not just his doctrine and not just his institution so I come I'm right at the point of origin I'm at the, he is the point of origin. Well, that's not everybody. But I do realize that there are a lot of you out there that have books in you if you would take time to make sure they're excellent and not just published. Because there is a big difference. Hallelujah. Have any questions out there? Oh, yes. You know what, there was a question that floated through earlier about knowing the difference between when you need to write a book, standard book versus a manual. Well, a standard book has to do with whether or not has to do with, um, you know, what do I want to say? Um, 
gener- producing information. That's what I want to say. So it's going to be on a topic, and that topic is about what you want to share as a writer, from your experiences, from your studies, from your education, etc. But it typically is a book where you read it once and you're done. You're one read. Because, you know, people may reference it later on in papers, but typically, and, and, and I've had them do that with me, when you want to write a manual, you're trying to write something that is not only going to engage your reader, but also create an interaction with that reader. So that manual has to do with the study, has to do with the class, has to do with training, has to do with material that is plugging into knowledge. So it's not just information. It's not just a story. It's not just a, a disclosure of what I know or what I've done. But it literally is a manual is supposed to plug into an educational path, track, or journey. So if, if, if you're going to write a manual on how to fix cars, well, so you can do that, but then there are elements in that manual that give information, but also illustrate and demonstrate and then require them to put to work, put to use what you write. hope that answers the question. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it does. It answered mine. <laughs> um, and then can you expound upon when you said you need to have universal appeal? How can you have, let's say, universal appeal if you are writing to a specific audience? But, but there's a universality in that audience. There's a commonality in that audience. In other words, a common thought, a common expectation, common pursuit, a common preoccupation. So because of that commonality, you do get that universality in your audience. So it may not appeal to every reader, on the planet, but it will appeal to the majority of the readers interested in your subject. It can't, for example, I can give you an example. Let's say you write a book and you want to, your pastor gave a wonderful sermon. It was great in church on Sunday, and the sermon was so good, and you felt like, and then maybe he, maybe he or she did a series, and then you decide you want to build on their theme and you want to write it. That's your church. You have to make sure that that subject, that that pastor taught was not uh, exclusive to that church. In other words, so you can go out and write a book because you think everybody needs to know it, but it was pertaining to that church, its issues, its hopes, its vision, etc. and that church isn't universal. So that pastor's message can't be universal. And so the universality piece is when you write, for example, prophet, the prophetic is universal. It's a universal subject. It crosses all boundaries, crosses all faiths, all religions. It crosses all of that. And it also uh, is useful to society. Everybody wants to know how to have tomorrow's answers today. So the prophetic is universal. If you write a cooking book, that's universal. You know, now if you decide to write a cooking book on, you know, based on something you learn on little, little Island, that's a niche book and it's not going to do it. Now, prophetic is a niche book, but it's still a universal niche. People want to know the future. People want answers to their lives. They want to know how to plan. They want to know how to forecast. Big deal. So, does that help? Yes. <laughs> Any other questions before we go? I can always ask more questions. Okay. Well, you you belong over here. Okay. How are we doing there, Norma? Anything you want to share? Uh, someone asked, how did you know if you've been called to write a book? Mm. Hmm. I think that is a great question. 
first of all, most people who are called to write books are very prolific readers. They read a lot. They explore a lot. They research a lot. Information is important to them. Answering questions, know-how, understanding, very important to people who are called to write a book. Uh, and also tapping into what people should know or where there are issues that um, should be addressed in print outside of the classroom or should be addressed, you know, in a book, then that's how you would know. People who are not called to write a book generally don't like to read. They don't like to read. They read very few books in a year. They don't like to read at all. And so you'll get them to say, well, I'll just write a book and I'll just dictate it as a ghostwriter. Well, you know, good luck with that because if your ghostwriter is just doing what you put on tape or what you anywhere recorded or scratched out, you still are not going to be known as an author. So if you're called to write a book, it's because you're concerned about the subject, society, and also you have you like to read. You know, that's you can't get around that one. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like you like to read the newspaper. You like to read novels. You like to be in the know. And eventually, all of that builds up in you, and becomes the food or the fodder you need to address an issue or a circumstance. I think that was a very good question. That's an outstanding question. Uh, Joy from Georgia, our Joy, uh -huh. she said, uh, she had a comment, she said, thrilled to hear that you, what you're saying about writing, and she almost threw her writings away. Mm. Thank you for keeping them. Mm -hmm. Very good. Look at you. Yeah. Well, um, we're going to, I guess we have to take a break now, or what? Do we take a break now, you know, and shift over? Well, we have... Uh, I'm not sure what happened to the I'm sure we'll be popping in. Yeah, she's probably walking down the hall. And yes. Seat. Yes, I appreciate. This is why I like the Fall Price Show. <laughs> you never know what you're going to get. Um, the writing lessons. How many people have asked you over the years, how do you write your book? Yeah. And then how can that help us? And so thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> we see why you have a school. Uh, we had a study group last week. Um, for midterms, and one of the things I said to the students was, your professor, Dr. Paula Price, is an author. So typos, incomplete sentences on your exams, all those things get points off. I said so many people lost points on their exam because of poor grammar. Because I couldn't understand the answer. You, right. It was incomplete. The thought was incomplete. You just threw something on the paper and kept moving for whatever reason. And it was kind of like, right, right. And you taught us that even about our professors uh, when we went to ORU. Mm -hmm. Don't submit things halfway done. Don't just throw it in there and think that their love for you mm -hmm. and their appreciation for your talent is going to bypass the lack of excellence mm -hmm. in what you submitted. Yes, and they want that. They do. That's why they're the professors. And so you uh, said just some very powerful things here about preparing, how to prepare to write, how to study your subject nonstop. Even if it's a testimonial. Yes, and uh, you know what? Probably more so. Mm -hmm. Probably more so in how, how much time it takes to research before you can sit down to write. Oh, my God. First you start, you have to have just a whole – something dedicated to thoughts, mm -hmm. brainstorms, uh, right, outlines, and just ideas before you even really come to a place where you can say, I'm ready to pin something. Mm -hmm. We'll type it now. We, we type. 
I write. You do write. <laughs> she writes, and then we have to interpret the writing. Yeah, and they they actually they hate it, and I just thought it's good for your prophet's mantle. <laughs> and that's really very true. <laughs> ask the Lord. <laughs> First, it'll uh, minister over. She said, "Brother, I said he can sell my office." What's his word? It's hard to phrase. You've been interpreting her writing a long time. And if I can't get it, I go to Prophet Paul. What's his word? Yep. <laughs> but you notice they said word and not word. Yeah. 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 Not a lot of them. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, and that is because we have studied your work tremendously. Sometimes mm-hmm. we can kind of guess the rest. Um, but you also said. The statement I think of the day, if you're going to blame God, then work to not shame God. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. show me that. I mean, it's shameful. Blame God for sloth, mess, falling asleep, can't yeah. spell, dropping out of school, yeah. dropping out. I mean, if you're going to blame the man, then don't shame him. Mm-hmm. You know, be good at what you do. One of the things that God keeps telling me is that I'm good at what I do. Man. That's good. I'm good at what I do. God is like, are you kidding me? I'm good at this, and I work to be good. When God, everything in creation is in the Lord saw what he did, and it was good. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, he expected it. Now, I know that it's very difficult for people to understand, well, how could he say it was good if he was creating the earth and it didn't exist? Because he had a whole other eternal creation that had been running for a long time that he had worked out all the kings. So when this turned out the way his world was all, is already running, he could say, that was good. Ooh, that turned out right. We've all done that. Ooh, that went well. That was good. Ooh, boy, that turned out. Right. And that's how he could say it was good. What we call good is effort. Oh, my. What God calls good is excellent. And you need to know the difference between the two. Just because you attempted, because you made the old college try, you made a valiant effort, doesn't mean that you attained good. Wow. Doesn't mean that you attained excellent. It means you tried. And when I wrote my dictionary, I had to go back and write that thing six times. Six times. Help me, Jesus. That's a lot. And I wrote it six times because there were words that, and I still want to do another dictionary. You know, I've been trying to find out how to do that. But we, just, just pray. <laughs> just pray because I'm not, I'm a shit. But I want to do another dictionary. I want to do the next level of the prophet's dictionary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have it, you know, it's already in, the, it's already, you know, words are there and it's in the works, but I wanted to do another dictionary because that was 12 years ago. Do you realize how much I've grown and you've grown and, you know, the field has grown mm-hmm. e- enormously. So I know my next dictionary would be whatever, but right now I'm finishing this biblical psychology textbook. Oh my oh God. That's going to be a couple of years. Years. Amen. And I've been at it for years. Yeah. But, um. But now that we have the class at our university, it's now my writing is meeting a living audience. Mm-hmm. See, when you first start out writing anything, it's your thoughts on paper. You just, you're just putting your thoughts, which is why at critical moments in my production when I was writing anything, God would stop the flow and lift it off me. And, and, and it took years for me to... No, then you said, now go live this. Go live it. Go teach it. Teach it go field test it. You need to field test yourself, especially if you're going to write a manual. You better be ready, ready to field test. You don't have a school. How are you writing a manual? You know? I mean, because you have to field test. 
you need a school or training class or midweek something, you need to have an online something or other, because how do you field test your academic knowledge, your academic information, the scholarship of your manual, the practicalness of the material that you're saying, and its usability? How do you evaluate its effects? Education is always to produce a product, a human product. That's why we have education, because education produces human products. You see? So you can do manuals and all of those kinds of things, but you need to, you need to teach. You need to test it somewhere. You, uh, you know, in your church, and most of your churches are not going to let you test too much scholastic stuff because many, many, many pastors don't want intelligence in their church. They want emotionality and sentimentality. They don't want that. They, they actually kind of ban the degreed people and get the inspired folks that just came off the street. But that's another show. <laughs> that's another show. Well, how many of our people who have relocated here yes. have voiced that? Oh, no, my past, they don't need anything. That's just too deep. No, no, they don't need anything. These people work in deep jobs. What are you talking about? Yeah. They get paid for deep. They get paid to be deep. Not everybody sitting in your congregation, you know, unless you just have a, 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 a fresh gift set, but even that, not everyone sitting in your congregation is stuck on a fifth grade knowledge just because you are. That's translated, pastor does not want to go deep. I know what that's translated in. Because deep calls unto deep. And iron sharpens iron. And so if you want to swim the surface and you want to go out there and be a dull act, then yeah. So you'll keep hitting that root, but nothing will happen because you can't, you're not sharp enough to lay that axe to the root. You just swing it. Boom, boom. Folks don't get better. They, they can't get saved. They don't have a real salvation. So we've had several of our people, highly educated people, who have relocated here in this church, in our church, because I free their intelligence. I not only free it, I challenge it. Come on, y'all could go higher. Y'all could do more, you know? And I free their intelligence. I want them, I assimilate that intelligence, experience, and education in my church programs. I do not want a dumb church. So there are a lot of people to keep you at that fifth grade level. Yay! Stay there. Elementary, stay there. Not my church. We are going to represent the throne of Jesus Christ. And the throne of anybody is not surrounded with idiots. No. Because idiots will lose your kingdom. <laughs> it's good business. <laughs> it's good. Not have the idiots. idiots. I mean, because they're like, what? I don't know what to do. Oh, why did you let this? I didn't know anything was wrong. He said something. No discernment, no detection, yeah. no instincts, no intuition, no perception. None of the things that you need that go beneath hard data. Yeah, talking about who should write a foreword, which needs to be spelled properly. Yes. Can we say it? On the front of your book. Yeah. Can we just take a moment to say how? Not forward. Right, like fast forward. Yeah, yeah, not that. It's a forward. Word. F-O-R-E. I just wanted to say W-R-D. Yes. I just wanted to say Hey, you need that. Yes, that forward should be spelled properly on the front of your book. Having and also, I think too, having someone who just writes a ton of forewords can also lessen the value of your book, mm-hmm. even if they're a larger name. Because I've seen a lot of larger name people put their names on lots of sons and daughters' books, 
And that can also sometimes diminish. And it's no guarantee. No, it isn't. It's no guarantee if you don't have what it takes in yours. Like that dictionary has Bill Hammond on it. Yes. And Bless so, Bill. And, and at that time, um, you know, people picking that up, they picked it up a lot because it was like, oh, Bill Hammond wrote this. Because I was a new author. Because you were a new author. But then when they opened it up mm-hmm. and your title wasn't deep with shallow content, <laughs> you said more. Then it was like, oh, we can see why someone of his caliber would put mm-hmm. his name on a relatively unknown author at that time in the wider yeah. body of Christ. And it was a big risk. Yeah, it was. Um, and it and it, it ended up being a great pairing mm-hmm. of two things: him being who he is in the prophetic, and then you writing this much-needed book, the prophet's dictionary. The prophet's dictionary, the ultimate guide to supernatural wisdom. I remember when I first read that. I was standing in your house. You were out of town, of course. And at that time, I wasn't sure if you existed because I hadn't met you yet. And Chief and I were in school. And I was always We were always together because she had a car. So we get off campus. And we would go to your house. Where's your mom? Well, she's on the road. She's on the road. She's on the road. Always on the road. And I'm thinking, the prophet's dictionary, the ultimate guide to supernatural wisdom, what does that even mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And somebody said, I had no idea. And I pick it up and put it down. And I pick it up and put it down. And I pick it up and put it down. Because I thought, this, I don't know what to do with this. Mm-hmm. But it was a dictionary. Yeah. I said, but so your mom, wrote a, dictionary. a black woman, mm-hmm. wrote a dictionary. a dictionary with terms and definitions. And mm-hmm. that's to a dictionary. Mm-hmm. And cross-reference. Yeah. And because, uh, you know, those kind of things are timeless. Mm-hmm. When you write in excellence, when you produce an excellence, you do put a timelessness on it. Yeah where it is relevant, like you said, not thinking about the present, but writing always toward the future. Always. Well, the, my publisher said that. He said, well, you know, the prophet's dictionary is going to sell way into the future because it's a utility. Yes. It's an instrument. It is not entertainment. And people, no matter where we take it, they buy it again and again because they, they buy it, it and they give it a gift. <laughs> Uh, they usually will put their foot down and say, I am not giving away another copy of my own. I just have four or five in the car mm-hmm. that I will now give out because I started over too many times right. in this book. I, I, I'm surprised at how many people buy it for friends. We even get it when we have our sales on our website. Mm-hmm. They buy it for friends. Mm-hmm. It's a dictionary. You know, we still need Brother Webster. Yeah. He's gone, but we still need Brother Webster. Yes. And all those other dictionaries that have been Merriam, Webster, you know, Barnes. We need all these people. Funk and Wagner. We need them. Shout me, Shell City on the dictionary. <laughs> what you understand, I know the dictionary. Because I have to get the words right. And here's another thing that I have found in my writing. <coughs> and that is, I've mentioned this in the past. I found in my writing that. A lot of what they say is obsolete and archaic has to do with discrediting scripture or just uh, dismissing Christianity. We don't do that any longer. We don't, that, uh, not used. No, but it's not used for a, a new age agenda. It's not right. useful to a new age agenda. It's not used, useful to a PC agenda, nor is it useful to a culture corruption, corruption plan. It just doesn't fit. But it does fit for Christianity, and it did fit for Christ because they chose Good terms. Yeah. You know, right now the whole corruption piece is, you know, good is bad and bad is bad and good is not in the picture. Exactly. You know, and so you've got all of these terms now that, you know, you kill it and all of those things. All of those are destructive terms. 
And they have spiritual destroyers that are mobilized by them. Mm. Wow. And we know that when we look at Ezekiel 9. Yeah. And we look at a lot of the prophecies. And then God goes and tells his, his whole um, assassin side. I know you don't think he has one. A whole assassin side that's going to take out his adversaries and take out his enemies and, and destroy nations, etc., that are going to, you know, rise up against them. And they understand those words. They do. They understand. God put every word in Scripture, which is why modern Bibles are trying to change the word. Because God put every word in Scripture that his, his dark and light forces need to do their jobs. Otherwise, he's not Alpha and Omega. You know, right now it's going to take true true apostles and true prophets to rescue the word of God, mm-hmm. to rescue the Bible, and to get us back to, and, and I say true meaning those that are not trying to get along. So we've got the whole get along strata. We're just going to get along with the world. When they don't want to hear that, they just need to be encouraged. What are they doing to encourage their own lives? I want to know that. You know, I'm, I'm older now, and I told you. When I was 40, they used to run me crazy with that. And I would say, but it doesn't make sense, but I didn't have the language. But I've got some language. You got some language. Got me some language, baby. Man, I got me some language. And now I start asking the hard questions. Well, you know, I mean, they're just trying to take care of their family. They can't do that in righteousness. They can't do that in truth. So we have to forego truth for them to feel good about taking care of their family? Mm. You've got to be kidding me. I'm not doing that. We are going to hear some truth. Hey, sanctify them by truth. That word is truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. People all bound up and carrying on. Why? Because we took truth off the table, and then we misnomered it in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Don't want to say what you want to say. I think I'm good. You good? Mm-hmm. Did you cover it now? I did. But you had two pages. Yeah, this is the second page. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Guess whose turn it is. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, Ladies, come on. Today? <laughs> <laughs> Shields up. I think um, she, she covered a lot of things. I think that one of the things you said Let's see. You have to grow into the message that God wants you to write. I think that was a really important thing for people to know um, today, just in terms of God downloading something to you mm-hmm. and you feeling like you have to get that message to the world. And I think a lot of times people feel as though they're disappointing God if they're not getting that now yet mm-hmm. in its in its baby state, you know, in its immature state. And um, I think that that was good to uh, just encourage that, allow that message time to grow, allow that time that message time to mature and that mm-hmm. message time to season. Um, because prophecy is always going to come beforehand. You know, God's always going to drop something into you before it's about to be released. So I thought that that was important. Um, uh, everything you said, not everything. That even a deal that God's word comes as a seed. Mm-hmm. We think it comes as a, a whole seed, yeah. at least not an embryo, but about, I mean, as at least a seed, and mostly an infant. Absolutely. And then sometimes we just think it comes as an adult. We don't bypass everything. Yes, but God's word comes as a seed. Yeah, I thought that was really important. Um, again, so many things you talked about. Not every idea you get is for now, which we talked about. Um, don't write to the whole world, mm-hmm. you know, and they, and, and they talk about, love how you said, uh, take a writing class. You'll learn that in writing mm-hmm. class, you know, how to really write to the people that you have a message for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can, again, understanding all the totality of what God is giving you and recognizing it may be for a specific market, and that's okay. It's okay if you're writing to a specific 
people group. You know, especially nowadays, they'll tell you, target your material right to a specific person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that that was really, really powerful. And then lastly, and so many things, but I'll say this as well, you talked about going beyond your experience mm-hmm. and having to research the world that you want to write about. You may not know everything about that subject just because God gives you a word, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and you feel like you have something to write. That doesn't mean that you know that whole entire world. So I liked that. Go find out about the world that you're writing about. Mm-hmm. There could be other things that, that that word from God, that seed from God is is talking to and speaking to. So I thought that that was important also. Yes. Well, we still have a lot more time because we're going to talk about other things. I have a question. Can I have a question? Oh, shoot. This one always has a question. This one? Yeah, no. Just because, okay. Um, because it, it was said enough out there, what should someone do if they've already produced something that they realize is mediocre, it's really not up to standard? Should it be a wash? Should they go back and redo it and republish it? Mm-hmm. What are their options there? Well, I think you have to republish it. If, it's, if you've learned better and you know better, then my suggestion would be republish it under a different cover and a different title. And just let what was out there out there. You'll have a few readers, who your loyalists will say, well, well this is so-and-so. But make sure that if you republish it, that you would, you would expand it a little bit. You add some things. Because no doubt the paragraphs you wrote in the first edition are probably very sketchy and very succinct or very small. You can now, if you have come to a point that you realize that what you wrote and put out there was not comprehensive, and it was not a best representation of your knowledge of the subject, then you go and redo it. Mm-hmm. I told you, I wrote that dictionary six times. I started out as a glossary. Mm-hmm. And it was a glossary. I think I had 25 words. I was so proud of those 25 words. I did not know what to do. I did not Okay. <laughs> and then after we did it and people started loving it so much, God said, um, so why don't you add some more words? Oh, okay. I can add words. And I started adding words, and he gave me words to add. And then after we got to the the little green stage, <laughs> he said, you know, you can make this a real dictionary. Mm. I said, really, Jesus? <laughs> well, you know, at that time I was so young, I, but I didn't even, whatever. I'm still like that now, but for sure back then. And so I went at it, and I began to lay it out. I studied dictionaries, would you believe I studied yes. dictionaries. I studied how they did them and what they did because I wanted to make sure that it made sense. I knew that mine was more than a dictionary because of the, the length of some of the entries, but I, I wasn't at that time ready to call it an encyclopedia because mm-hmm. I was stunned that I was calling it a dictionary. <laughs> I was like, I'm from, I'm from North New Jersey, Okay. I told God I'm a poor little black man from North New Jersey. Why am I writing a dictionary? Because you're going to actually do it. And, and he said it. <laughs> and so he started, I mean, from that point onward, he started leading me to uh, terms and phrases and things like that and studying them to understand how to put it together, but also how to language out the prophetic in ways that it's practitioners. Could you? Mm-hmm. Right. Because we don't think of the prophetic as practitioners. Mm-hmm. We don't think of prophets as, but you practice the eternal word of God applied to the material world. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about that as yes. prophets, don't we? I mean, you, you, you call it a ministry, so you don't think it's seriously. That's why you don't want it brought under rules and you don't want it brought under regulations because in a ministry, it keeps you in charge and you don't have to conform and you don't have to do all of those things. But let me just say this to you. When you are an official prophet, your ministry not only becomes an office, 
but it becomes a practice, mm-hmm. a spiritual divine communications practice. Mm-hmm. And until it becomes that, you are just a, 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 a runaround, what do you call a wandering declarer of whatever comes out of your heart. Sometimes it's God, sometimes it isn't. But when a person has a practice, you become bound to certain rules and certain duties and responsibilities because ministry, another synonym for ministry, because you didn't look it up, I'm sure. Most of us didn't until we had to. But another synonym for ministry is office. So you hear people say, I just don't believe in this gift. Yeah, ministry, office. It is an office. Mm -hmm. O-F-F-I-C-E. Don't take my word for it. Go and do your own study. And the next thing I would tell you as a professional practitioner, know what you're talking about. Before you refute somebody and jump out on Facebook to make all of these silly statements, make sure you've done your homework because that will distinguish you from the wandering road. Because when you are in an office and when you are a professional, you want to make sure that you support what is part of your field, and you want to make sure that your understanding of it is correct, and you want to make sure that you don't bring negative uh, implications on it. See, that's where we get stuck. So the prophetic is a divine communications institution. It is a communications institution. So guess what you should learn? Communication. Wouldn't that be nice? Half of the reasons why you can't get those prophecies out is because you need a communication support. You need how to need to know how to communicate. You need to know how to articulate all of that that um, that spiritual subject matter, that spiritual downloads and transmissions that God gives. And you need to take that communications lesson and begin to understand how it works prophetically. You know, we're reading the prophets in the Bible who gave long, long, long messages from God. And they were, yeah. and a lot of them are not just prophecy. They're not just declarations. Some of them are scenarios. Some are decrees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some yeah. of instruction. Yeah. Some of rebuke. You know, all we know is either you're going to get the prophecy, you're going to just only rebuke you. Or the one that only encourages you. Mm-hmm. Right. And too much of a good thing is just as bad as too much of a bad thing. Mm-hmm. So when, I, when you start writing and you start thinking about writing, especially if you're going to write from God, it, it, you have to understand prophetic. And I had to understand what words meant. Just because you're, you're writing as a prophet doesn't mean that you need to, your vocabulary needs to be stunted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You need to increase your vocabulary every day because you can have people. Here's another case where people yeah. come and say, you're going to the nations. You can't communicate to your boss. Wow. You're not going to the nations until you increase your vocabulary. <laughs> I don't care. Now, you can go and take a trip to a nation, but as far as God using you, he knows you cannot communicate what he's saying, he knows that you are, your vocabulary is too stunted to convey his thoughts. And you'll have a lot of I don't knows, et cetera. And whether it's speaking or writing, it's still the same. Is your vocabulary up to par? Or are you one of those people that come up under those churches, oh, you don't need that, you just, that's just an intellectual devil. So your God is a devil because logos means intelligence. 
Right. So your God is the devil. Oh, no, but I don't mean God. Well, what do you mean? Because we are members of the body of Christ. Right. What are you saying? See, some of the times you just, yeah. when, when you use these little catch-all cookie-cutter phrases, you don't realize that the yeah. cookie was made out of a bag of flour. Did you, you wrote down something to say? No, I just wrote down what you were saying. <laughs> and how about you? Amen. Increase your vocabulary. <laughs> well, we've been in especially in our early days with Dr. Price, but we've been in some of these prophetic meetings and they're throwing shoes. And oh, my gosh. Other parts of jewelry and things and can't prophesy with their eyes open and all kind of strange odyssey. Yeah. Well, I think it might lead to kind of this misconception that to be prophetic is to just be strictly spiritual. Or weird. You know, that there is, or weird, abstract, mm-hmm. um, you know, only ethereal oh, and not using any kind of practicality, logic, or education, but, but in fact... The prophets of the Bible were extremely educated, and you can tell even in their writings, mm-hmm. you know, how educated they were. They knew about the systems. They knew about prophecies. They knew about science. They knew about history. Yeah. Um, you know, they knew about the world. They just knew, you know, many, many things, and you could tell they were um, established uh, writers mm-hmm. and artists and scribes and, you know, all those different things. So I think that that was also one of the things um, that was very interesting about you when I first encountered you, when I first met you, was all of the education that you brought into what we would have deemed strictly spiritual territory. You know, we have a hard time balancing both, I think, mm-hmm. in the body of Christ. So I think what you're bringing out is very important, talking about writing spiritual information. And this is not, obviously, you're not speaking just about spiritual information. You mentioned that. But um, when you are writing spiritual things, revelations that you've received, mm-hmm. bringing that education into it, bringing the academic aspect by making sure that it's correct or making sure that it's expansive, those things are really, really important to making your mark rather than just cornering yourself to a very specific mm-hmm. people group. Uh, I was going to say in response to that, too, I think that, and you made this point earlier today, people think because the Holy Spirit and the Lord is moving through you mm-hmm. that he can say whatever he wants, right. and it really doesn't matter what the vessel knows, God's going to override that natural intelligence mm-hmm. with all of his glory. And so when you say, you cannot prophesy to a king or president effectively if you don't know about government economics, you know, whatever um, the Lord wants to say, that conflicts with how we say prophecy works. Well, we consider ourselves mindless microphones. Yeah. And it's that mindless microphone Mm -hmm. amplifier concept that we have to kill. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I can speak in a microphone. It's not going to care about whether or not I get my grammar right, Right. whether or not I know what I'm saying if I speak in a complete thought. It doesn't care about any of those things. Its job is to amplify my sound. But that's not human. And back in God's time, they didn't have that. They had to use the wind and mountains and things like that. So you have got to, as a prophet, as a communicator of the Spirit, you think that the Holy Spirit being breath, being air, can just come through you. And as he comes through your the breath of your body, he just gives you a, you know, super education for that moment. 
that he, I mean, doesn't mm-hmm. it sound, yeah. you think that just because the Holy Spirit dropped a word on you that <laughs> at, at the same time he upgraded your brain, he upgraded your thoughts, he gave you a, a different mind. He doesn't, which is why he sends people to school. When you look at Ezekiel, Ezekiel was a priest. Priests always had to have education. They had to have the highest education in the land. When you look at those writers, you look at Daniel's three years of prophetic education after he'd been educated in his homeland. Three years to understand how to hear those deities, how to discern them, how to rightly represent them, and how to articulate them. See, we don't realize prophecy is supposed to be articulate. Mm-hmm. Okay, not just vocal. And so as we go forward in this, God sends at Moses. The Bible says in Acts chapter 7, Moses was educated in all the knowledge of the Egyptians, which was a world power. You know, it's akin to getting an American or British education today. You have to understand that it is not magical. You have this treasure in an earthen vessel, your clay pot. And so if we want a clay pot to be believed, to be appreciated, to be valued, we have to do something with that pot, don't we? Yeah. If you have questions that you want, curiosities, even a prayer request, let us know. We're not shutting that out. We're just going onward to do that. So if you have a question. We have someone on the line. Okay. You want to do that? Yes, let's do that. Okay. All right. Tammy, get ready to push a button. Um, we have Michelle from Louisiana. And her question is, oh. are you on? Hello? Yes, I am. I am. Oh. Hello, Dr. Pine. And all oh, those hi, hi, hi. there with, can you hear me? I can. Oh, okay. I was just going to say uh, congratulations on the university and everything that's going on with you. <coughs> Excuse me. I was calling you. because I wanted to be able to ask you point blank to the chase, because I've heard you say this to other people, what their calling is, and I still don't know mine. I'm, I'm needing to know exactly what do you hear, um, if if that's at all, you know, if the Lord will work through you for me in that matter. I'm going to be, as you said point blank, so, you know, one thing you never want yes, to say about the price is <laughs> but okay. you said point blank. It doesn't yes, matter ma'am. what God tells you your calling is. If God's not talking, the question is not your calling. The question is, why won't he talk? Yeah. So you put oh, the, the wrong question. You said, why why, why is call? God refusing to talk to you? Why is he refusing to answer you? Okay. Because God talks to people, millions of people around the world every single day, all day. Mm-hmm. He talks to us. He talks to the people listening in today. And yes. you and I have been around this a couple of times. I'm telling you, the answer, the question is the wrong one. Because finding out what God called you to do is only secondary to what God called you to be and what's standing in the way. All right, all right. Okay. I, I was so under the impression that maybe he had told me and I didn't hear him because, you know, there's so much going on in my brain. But anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. It, but if, if that was, but here, God, God is not some sort of recording, God is the Almighty. God will have yes. a dog run up to you and tell you who you are, okay? Yes. He'll have a rabbit mm-hmm. run on by with a piece of carrot in his mouth talking about, thus says the Lord most high, my maker, thou art. God is okay. not at a loss way to get to you. 
He's not. He knows mm-hmm. your brain. He made your brain, and he watched everything that distorted your brain happen. God can speak to you. He knows your heart, okay. and he can speak to you. The question is, you and God are at an impasse. He okay. is the Almighty. I'm sovereign. I'm sovereign. I can do. God tells people who are not saved their calling. He tells yes, people he who don't know, and even people who don't like it. They're called. Mm-hmm. So there's mm-hmm. the question you want to answer, my beloved. Please hear me, my daughter. Hear me. Hear me from your heart. The question is, you and God have an issue where he Hello. will not speak to you on what you know until you all have covered that issue. And I think it's a couple of issues. And so God's at it. I'm the almighty. I live forever. So I can wait to tell you all this here when you come to me. All right. So what I would suggest to you, and I have suggested it, you have got to get with God not about how to get a calling done and how to do, you know, work some deeds. God's not interested in good deeds. God is interested in in, in pure hearts. And he says when a person comes to him with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, he will receive them. So when God Mm -hmm. is silent, and I know you purchased my book, When God Goes Silent, but when God is silent, we are the ones who cut him off. He doesn't cut us off. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you to the end of the age. And a lot of times we think being with us means that he's going to cooperate with our nonsense, and he's not. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm going to tell you, and I mean this from my heart. I love you dearly. You know how I feel about the body of Christ, but I am not going to misrepresent Jesus Christ. Jesus talks all the time. The people yes. talk about their writing. He's dedicating messages. He's preaching right now around the world. So you think he doesn't know how to. The man, the man created language. You don't even have a brain language he can't hear. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want you to think differently about this. This is not about God not telling you your purpose. This is about God not talking. All right. All right. And, and the way remember when he that. Talk. I'm sorry. Go ahead. And you remember when he did talk. That's why you're frustrated. That I that I did what when he did talk. I'm sorry. I said you remember when he did talk to you, which is oh, why you yes. are first. Okay. And when God right. goes silent, did you read God, when God goes silent? Can begin there then. Yes. Yeah, start again. Start right. again, and make oh. sure you read His Word because God wants to. God will only talk to you according to His Word, which is His will. Now He may use modern yes. language to do so, but He doesn't mm-hmm. deviate from His character. Okay. So start with right. where God goes. Put yourself in a place of prayer. But you have to somehow or another convince God that it's worth it for him to reopen his channel of communication with you. All right. All right. Well, thank you for being straight with me, Dr. Price. Well, you told me to be straight. I was just I, I Yes, ma'am, lying. I did. <laughs> you said point blank. I said, oh, Lord. Yes. <laughs> I said, there's somebody yes, that ma'am. doesn't know me. The price going to go point blank. I have to okay. kind of dull my point sometimes. But um, okay. love you. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for Michelle. And, Lord, thank you for the journey that you've had. Only you know the, the issue that is standing between you two, and only you can handle that. Only you, Jesus. No one else can do it, and only you can do it your way and your time. So, Lord, we're leaving this to you. I don't, I can surmise a lot of things, but right now, this is about you and your daughter, and this is about your fatherhood, 
and her being a daughter to you. And so, Lord, as you get ready and you prepare her for your answer, and, Lord, she brings them forward, I thank you, Lord, that you lead her and guide her into all truth because you yes, said what you said you would do. You said the Holy Spirit yes. would take up what is and show it yes. to the world. So I thank yes. you, Lord, for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Dr. Parker. Amen. Thank you, my love. Yes, ma'am. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Another caller? Yep. Here's another caller. All right. Uh, Patricia. Oh, Patricia is actually on the line. She says she's been falling asleep without warning in knee prayer. You need a doctor's visit. You, First of all, Patricia, I will tell you this. You are on a lot of medication, and sometimes all of that stuff gets crazy. My prayer is that God will enable you to to. Get off some of that medication. Maybe go to a naturopath to find out what kind of deficiencies have developed as a, as a result. Because when you're on a lot of medication, you lose a lot of nutrients because those chemicals are doing something else. They're taking the place of something natural. And so I'm praying for God to give you the, gra- the grace and the wherewithal to go to a naturopath to get your um, levels checked and to see how we can get you off of this medication. That's number one. Number two, if you're falling asleep without warning, I do want you to go to a medical doctor so that you can stay awake because that might be a medication you need. We don't need you driving down the highway talking about um, I mean, your brain talking about I need a nap. So I want you to go to a medical doctor and find out why this is happening, my love. But I definitely want you to pray for God to give you the wherewithal to get a full um, – Workout with the nature path. I just would love to see you off some of that medication. And I have been, I have been to a doctor, but they haven't found anything yet. Well, when was the last time you went? And let me tell you something. Just because you've been to a doctor, you know, not all doctors are specialists in everything. Trust me. And I, you just have to find the, the specialist in it. But why don't you come when you talk to um, come to church on Sunday? Talk to our leadership and see if they can refer you to a doctor that can do the work because uh, you want me to think this is spiritual, but I'm going to tell you right now, what you're dealing with is an organic issue. I do know that. Hallelujah. Did you all want to say something? Amen. Okay. Amen. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Listen, they stood here. I might as well use (laughs) You know, this is the midnight hour, girl. She'd be praying in the midnight hour. Now she's going to act coy. (laughs) This, these are the things we've discussed. Yes. Oh. Yes. This, this, oh. So we're, we're, let it be done and let it be so now. Oh, Patricia. Like, do it. So you were testing their counsel? <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, not exactly the counsel. It's just that um, I, I went to Wednesday Warriors last night, and I had to have somebody drive me home. Well, that's and so, you know what? You need to get, I'm telling you, this is a chemical imbalance. I'm telling you something has happened. And, it, and, and my instinct is telling me that your medication, some of your medications are classic. So go and do it. And, let, and I'm going to pray. You know I'm going to pray. But go and yes, follow ma'am. through. Follow through. Okay? Because, you know, that's not your strong suit. Praise God. Let me bring this thing closer. So I can <laughs> Blessed be God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. 
Lord, I thank you for Patricia. She's been with us such a long time, and she's just been a dear member to all of us and in our church. So, God, I'm thanking you for it. We've watched her roll from battle to battle and scrap to scrap for her to just fight for her existence here. Lord, I'm stepping in now as your authority, and I'm speaking to the narcolepsy that's forming in her body. I command that spirit to loose her and let her go. I, Lord, I thank you that when she goes to the doctors this time, they're going to find it. They're going to find the issue, yes. and they're going to treat it. I thank you yes. for leading her to the medical um, practitioner who can find it and who can fix it. And I bless you for Patricia. I command your body to be made whole, and I command your mind to stop being invaded by this fear. In Jesus' name, let it be so. Amen and amen. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. Thank you. You're welcome, baby. Be blessed. Bye. People want to know how they can call in, because we're usually off camera when we do this. So the people who are watching... Don't know. When we say to dial in, this is what happens. Oh! So here's the number. Right here is 319-527-6218. Press the number one. I like it. For the opportunity. Call me! Right now. You have a few minutes to call me. Well, while we're doing it, you want to have property to talk about some announcements? Sure. No, absolutely. Um, We have huge thing coming up. Our Tulsa Prophetic Training Institute is happening in June. It's actually just a few short months away. I know it may seem far, but it's not. It's a few short months away. June 20th through the 24th. We do a special service on the 24th on Sunday with Dr. Price, so you don't want to miss this. Um, You want to plan and plan your trip for that Wednesday, the 20th through Sunday the 24th, stay over with us, but the event will officially conclude on Saturday afternoon on the 23rd, um, and so it is going to be and right And then here. we go to dinner. And then we go to dinner, yes. It's and, just, then. and then. And then. Amazing traditions that we have at this event. We also do a tour of Price University. So if you've been hearing Dr. Price talk about the university and you just want to check out the facilities, we want to bring you uh, into our our university, let you tour some of the classrooms and just find out a little bit more about our story and how we ended up uh, here with the university. And so we do that tour on Saturday. So the prophetic forum is just an amazing time. We have classes in the evening. um, And then you all get to train with this amazing woman of God all day, all day long, Thursday is completely Dr. Paula Price Day at the Tulsa Prophetic Training Institute, and you get to hear from her and really glean from her wisdom the entire day, and then we break out into sessions in the evening time, um, and then again, we do it all over again on Friday with our speakers and do classes. We usually do some kind of group presentation. I mean, it's it's, yeah. it's wild. It's amazing. The You've got to come Your challenges, yes. oh, yes. presentations. We, we promise this year we're going to try. We, we promise as your prophets we're going to try not to be so competitive. We're going to try. But not make it's it. just she needs to make that promise mm-hmm. by herself. They're not going to make it. I, well, I, I don't promise you that. Here's the Bible. Here's the Bible. I'm going to say it in on the Bible. I won't promise that. I won't. But it's incredible. It's an incredible time when we get to come together um, and just, know. It really dig into the uh-huh. prophetic. Um, but, you know, I want to say, just interject there, I do not subscribe to the we don't compete. we got games that we pay for people to compete. We've got all kinds of things. If you're going to bring your A game, you're going to have to earn that A. If right. you're, and you don't know if you have an A game if you don't compete with those who are B, C, D, E, and F. <laughs> so you're going to have to come up against them. You've got to move your ranks. And so... And we do it. Yeah. I, I don't have a problem with that. I know that there are folks who say that God is not competitive, and he got a whole world system that is. 
All right. Oh, yeah. How about this? God's competitive. He got to compete for your soul every day. He's competing for whether you're going to talk to him or watch TV. He's going to compete as to whether or not you're going to pay your tithes or buy a dress. He competes as to whether or not you are going to learn his Bible or you're going to study the magazines that are out there. God competes every second of every day for you, for your attention, etc. And when you are of the right mind, you let him win. And, you know, at your heart, at the core of your heart, you want him to win. Right. But you want God to be the top. We, we have people talking about, the, you know, cheesy Christian movies and cheesy songs and cheesy. I mean, first of all, I don't even understand how we became cheese, but I'm going to lose that devil. And, but the point is, I'm good. I, I command good because you're not going to tell me that I am filled with all the fullness of the Godhead and I'm ineffective and I'm inaccurate and I'm, mm-hmm. are you kidding me? I'm not excellent. I work at it. Now, I may still, you may find this and that, but you better know that when I find them, I remove them because I believe that that's the best representation of Jesus Christ. All of this here, um, God accepts you as you are and all of that. Yes, he will. God will let you in his house as you are, and then he will take you to the bathtub and clean you up. And then he's going to take you to the closet and change your attire. And then he's going to take you to his den and teach you how to live as his offspring. So that whole thing of just, you know, accepting, no, we are excellent, and we compete. As, as, as a matter of fact, sometimes when my, 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 when my leaders play games, I'll be like, oh, God. Oh. I am a Christian. Okay. They have to have a whole, and they still don't live up to it. But no, you'll no. never know that you're A if you don't face off with B. You'll never know that you're A if you face if you don't face off with C, D, E, and F. You have got to know what makes you A. We we took that from the church. You know, even the kid that failed, the kid that watched television, played this game, slept, he gets a reward with the kid that worked and studied. Who does that? That's injustice. That's an unjust way. So I just want you to understand. Yeah, we are going to put you to the test. But some of you all are so good that you don't even know it because you've never had a platform where that greatness in you had an opportunity to step forward, to shine, and to rise. Well, come on, to tell us. Did I do it? You did it. Did you have another announcement? I do. We have, uh, we have <laughs> There's more classes, more certificate-based classes are coming up. Um, for those of you all who took Prophetic Guardianship Part 1, there's a part two. So that launches off next week with a part two, and Strategic Prayer Part Two is coming uh, the week after, and a new full success is coming. So we want to pay attention to drpaulaprice.com so you can sign up for another certificate-based class. And we will be rolling out sessions one of mm-hmm. two of our popular classes, the Strategic Prayer and Prophetic Guardianship. Those will roll out another session one of those classes as well. But we wanted to continue that learning for those who took class one of Strategic Prayer and Prophetic Guardianship. So we're rolling out class and that's coming. So check us out, drpaulaaprice.com. You want to do it, and I am also releasing, they don't know it, but I like to create work for them in public. Here comes the pen. I'm also going to release as a, what is it, four-week course, Mm -hmm. um, prophecy timeline. God, where is my prophecy? We're releasing that as one of the trainings because sometimes, I mean, you might maybe call the prophet, you may, but you want to know what happened to your prophecy. I mean, where is it held up? And so this is a very animated class that I've done, and we're going to release it to you in various segments, you know, part one, part two, so that you'll understand the process of your prophecy. Yeah. What does the word of the Lord go through to get to you 
and then to embody itself in your world. And that's what this is about. It's called Prophecy Timeline. You can start pre-enrolling. They're going to have something for you to pre-enroll in. But I think that some of you all are stuck because you don't know the journey and the pathway of prophecy manifestation. And so we're going to do that. And not long after that, we're going to have Manifest Prophetic because they almost dovetail off each other, would you not say? And so that you'll understand. Yeah. I would say prayer portal, prophecy timeline, manifest prophetic. Mm-hmm. That's the trifecta. That's, that's a nice that's trifecta. Okay, so we want to make sure that you do because it's important that you understand that whether or not you're in an office or a service, the Lord's word to you must be fulfilled. And you need to understand prophecy timeline is for those people who just would say, I will know how to pray if I know where my prophecy is, what stage is right. my prophecy right. in? You know, because some of you all think the day it came is the day it's done. And in God's world, it came done. But in your world, when it started into our world, it became undone and needed to be redone for the physics of this world. Hmm. Did okay. you like that? Yeah. Okay. I love the class. Oh, the yeah. class is amazing class. I like it. Every time I go, I thought, oh, this is good. Because I get confused sometimes. I got words. Where's my word, God? Where's my prophecy? You know, it's kind of like, you know, going to, uh, you know, um, UPS and whatever. Where's my package? Where is my package? Tracking yeah. package. Yes. And so this we enables don't understand you. That. Yes, we do. The yeah. tracking, and, you know, especially Christmas time. But you said it was going to be. Sorry, ma'am. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, and so I want you all who are listening to me, not one of you, I want you to sign up for that class because it will give you peace of mind. Mm-hmm. And it will give you those answers that fill in the blanks for you because some prophecies are supposed to take 30 years. Getting Jesus to the wilderness required 30 years. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you think it's, I mean, he's God and whatever, because I know everybody's caught up in it, but he's God who has downgraded himself to a mortal. Can you imagine? Mm-hmm. Jesus downgraded himself from God, creator, to a mortal. So, Make sure you get that course. Mm. And then um, uh, Manifest Prophetics is a training course that we teach that goes with this because it tells you what's involved in embodying the word of the Lord or mobilizing it for this world. Because many people, a part of the false prophecies is because they, did, they ignore the process. Yeah. You know, people just say, well, God can do anything. Yeah, he could if you want him to tear up his world. Mm-hmm. He could do a lot of things to tear up his, come on, you know, well, God can just make people do it. Yeah, but if God's going to make somebody do something, he's got to be in them. If they're not saved, he's not in them. So now he has to coerce them. He has to strong arm them. He has to upset their life, upset their family, upset their kids. A lot of this stuff that you're saying God ought to be able to do, you have no idea what it takes for God to do God because he has put us in a sequential order and a pattern of manifestation. And because we're not moving in that pattern or we don't know it, we're, you know, a lot of young prophets out here saying ludicrous things because they don't believe that prophecy has a timeline, a pipeline, and a sequence to happen in the earth. In order for God to, to get Jesus into the planet, just wonder where did he put the seed? And, at what, and how did he make sure that seed stayed in the, the went from Adam you know, moving from Adam to Noah to Abraham, 
all the way down. See, because he's got to move that all the way down. And then now he's got to move them down from Abraham. He's now bringing them into Isaac or uh, um, what's his name? Uh, Isaac and then um, Israel. Mm-hmm. And then after that, he's got to get them from get his seed from Israel to Judah. Come on. This is a big thing for the Lord. Mm. You think you know the sequence. And he does it so fast and so imperceptibly, and he doesn't talk about it a lot because he knows we're going to drive him crazy. So when, so periodically, when he's ready to trigger it, he'll give us a word. And, and, and seasoned prophets will know whether that word is for the now or for the future. Mm-hmm. I can tell when I have a dream, whether it's an instant dream, whether it's a near dream or a far dream. Even though I'm looking at the the, the the whole enactment of it all, so you need to understand that. So you're going to want to do the, and the prayer portal. Obviously, once you learn, then you have to pray it in, and you have to participate with God and partake of His way of doing things. See, the prophetic is practical, you know, and we teach it as if it's some sort of parlor trick. It is not a parlor trick. Now people are presenting it as a parlor trick, but the prophetic is practical. It is a timeline, and it, I mean, it has a timeline. It has a genetic structure. It has a spiritual DNA that has to turn itself into a material DNA. You need to understand that. Hmm. Yeah. So make sure you sign up. And you, we already gave you the titles, and Prophet D is so good that probably by tomorrow morning you're going to have this up there. Sign up now. Where the due dates will be put up there when they're going to go live. This will go live on this date. This will go live. But you can sign up now. If you're a prophetic trainer and educator, you need your people to know this. If you want your people to understand how to work with God instead of against him, this, these are three subjects that you must have. How, how, Dr. Price, how do you do it? How can I know? How can I know not to give a prophecy? I have walked down line and given everybody a prophecy but one person. And, and I'm telling you, the word of faith and, you know, evangelical kind of compassion would say, yeah, but you should be able to say something. God said, don't say anything. Mm-hmm. And so I've done that more than once. And so I went to God once because I thought, you know, God, this really isn't looking good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're not really doing well. Um, your reputation, my image is not helping us at all. And a couple of times he said, oh, no, he said they don't like me. He said this one has a secret life. They have so-and-so and so-and-so, and and they're in that line to to, to get a blessing over their mess. So I can't just look at the future. I've got to look in their hearts, and I've got to trust God has been with them 365, 24-7, and I prophesy what he knows his people should have at the moment. And I don't give long harangues. I don't do those long harangue prophecies. Half of the people don't even hear it. They don't even know what you said. The other half, they don't know what to do with. I won't do that. I will give enough. I'm going to advise you that's something different. But I'm not going to give you that long thing because we got to find out if you're going to believe. Because you may not believe. You might just dismiss it. And I've dumped all your stuff all down into your old age and, your, and your, you know, coffin, past the coffin to the throne. So I don't do those things. Ah, but these are st- but you need to know why, because sometimes, like I can look at a whole book, and there are some people I can actually spend six days telling them their lives. Mm-hmm. But it would be a useless exercise mm-hmm. because they can't do anything with that. So you need to understand how the prophetic works, because the more you, re- the more we verbally release, the more chain reactions we trigger in your life. Goodness. Last minute. Oh, she says we have a minute. Now I don't have to text you. I need to do this. 
<laughs> just loving this too much. Thank That's you. Good. Control. It's the control thing that gets you. Yes. Okay. This has been great. Please go to my website, drpaulaaprice.com, to take a course at Price University, to uh, sign up for an assessment, to enroll in Price University yeah. proper. We can do that Register too. For Register for the event, which is very important. Now, understand, even though you're taking these courses, we are smart people. We're not giving you a lot of meat on purpose because we need you to buy a plane ticket and come here. But this year, you will be surprised of the subject that I will have because I'm going to equip you as prophets and in a different way, prophets and leaders in a different way. So you don't want to miss. Go get your ticket. I don't know if we're going to have the two first, the one first, the everybody. Yeah, buy one, get one right now. Okay, we're in the buy one, get one. So this is going to be great. Buy a ticket. Make it your way because God will use you according to your training and education. He always uses what you've learned, not what you yearn. And sometimes you yearn for God to use you and you don't know what he needs. You haven't taken time to learn how to be used of the Lord. Well, this is a good way to do it. And then you'll have all the other fun going on. Uh, my, uh, the chief prophet, my daughter, chief prophet, is going to do a whole training on how to be a chief prophet today in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. I'm excited about that. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then we'll also hear from our regional prophet in uh, Pacific West Coast, mm-hmm. Dr. Offspears. And, you know, I've given him a special assignment. I like to, you know, just kind of drop it on him because – he swims so well. He just flaps so well. God bless you. Don't forget, Scripture Organic, Culture Unmodified, Sunday morning at the Congregation of the Mighty. Baptism Sunday. Oh, it's Baptism Sunday. And don't forget, taking it on with Paula Price, 7.30 a.m., 5.30 p.m. on Sunday. Have a great rest of your weekend. God bless. Thank you, God. Mm-hmm. What did you say the event thing was going to be? Oh,